You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, so for our conversation, if you have version apps, feel free to go there. Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 16. These, uh, this is an exciting reading. It's known as the genealogy of Jesus. These are the begats. And so, um, oh man, just, just hold, hold your breath at the excitement of reading this, this text. All right, so follow along. All right, so it's really important. It's important to Matthew's understanding of Jesus, and it's really important to ours, which is why we're going to start with it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, what Matthew's about to do is he's about to move from Abraham to David. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Aminadab. Goodness. Aminadab fathered Nashon, or Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. All right, now we're going to move from David to the Babylonian exile. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered, ben- uh, Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Ammon. Ammon fathered Josiah and Josiah. Father Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Whew. All right, now from the exile to Jesus. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Sh- Shiltiel. I, I practiced this like 17 times. I'm still going to get it wrong. Shiltiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Ebud. Ebud fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akim. Akim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Mathan. Mathan fathered Jacob. And Jacob, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Don't you feel inspired by this exciting reading of Scripture? All right. You will, hopefully, by the end of this conversation. Because in Matthew's genealogy, there is a deliberate identification of four women in addition to Mary. All in Jesus' family tree. See, in the Jewish society of Jesus' time, when society favored men, it was unusual for any woman to be included in this way, let alone four of them. It happened. Don't get me wrong, but it was unusual. Genealogies of Israel usually included only males. Again, sometimes it included females, but usually only males. And what's more is the women Matthew chose all had questionable reputations in Hebrew history. Tamar, verse 3, acted like a prostitute and engaged in illicit relations with Judah in order to trick him into fathering Jesus' ancestor Perez. Rahab, verse 5, was a career prostitute. Ruth, verse 5, was a foreigner, a woman of Moabite heritage. Uriah's wife, verse 6, Bathsheba, was summoned by King David with no regard to her own free will and was made to be his mistress. 
And actually, at least three of these women we know to be Gentiles, outsiders. We aren't entirely sure about Uriah's wife Bathsheba, but scholars believe to think she also was a Gentile. So the question is, why include the women in Jesus' family line? And an obvious explanation would be that God values women just as he values men, and their inclusion is a sign of this. But there has to be more to this that because Matthew could have just mentioned other women if that was the answer. See, in all four of these women's stories, God acted in extraordinary and unexpected ways, just as he did with Mary, claiming them and vindicating them despite their vulnerabilities and despite how others valued them. So these four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, have something in common. Each one of these women, in some way, were taken advantage of. They were unnoticed, undervalued, unappreciated. At times in their lives, they were unwanted and worn out. In a male-dominated society, these women did what they needed to survive. Tamar did what she needed to ensure her a proper heir. Rahab did what she needed in order to make a living. Ruth did what it took as a foreigner to secure a husband and heir. Bathsheba survived. She's a survivor. She survived being the object of a powerful king's desire and sexual assault. See, the historical reality of these women's lives is that they were victims of a social system that stole their innocence. They endured shame and scandal. And in the mind of many who would listen to Matthew's gospel, all of these women were, in different ways, outsiders. They didn't belong on the list. And yet here they are, explicitly connected to Jesus, the Messiah King. They are claimed and embraced as important and known. Their lives counted and played an important role in God's salvation history, regardless of what Matthew's listeners or today's listeners might think of them. God chose these four women to be a part of his world-changing work to bring about the king, to write the story of salvation. All these women, these four women are mentioned by Matthew And point us to a fifth woman, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of God incarnate. And all of these women, beloved, all of these women represent the undeniable reality that God's promise to Israel has spread to those outside of Israel and that God's invitation to join him in leading this work is extended to all people. God's invitation to lead and serve in the work of God is extended to all people, even female outsiders of what some may call questionable reputation. Now, if we go back, what else we learn from Matthew's chapter on Jesus' uh, genealogy is that from the outset, and you ready for this? Jesus closely identifies with those who not only sin, but who have been sinned against. These are the people Jesus identifies with. And Matthew wants us to see that Jesus identifies closely with those who have been excluded and undervalued. It's always been this way. It's God's way. And it's clear in the lives of other people who are listed in the genealogy. 
I mean, Abraham attempted to trade his wife's sexuality for his safety. Remember that? Jacob cheated his brother of his inheritance by taking advantage of his blind father. Remember that? David was a ruthless murderer and power-mongering leader. True story. Remember that? Rehoboam loses most of David's wealth through arrogance and greed. Remember that story? Isaiah continues his father's ways as a sadistic mass murderer. Do you remember that story? See, Jesus didn't belong to the nice, clean, middle-class respectability. He belonged to a family filled with what some would call murderers, liars, thieves, adulterers, and cowards. That's Jesus' family tree. He belonged to the imperfect and the unholy. Jesus belonged to the outsiders, the outcast, the victimized, and the victimizing. And Jesus still does. Because that's what you do when you are God-made flesh and you love your beloved. Jesus belongs to us and is the only one that can rescue us from our own self-imposed descriptions and social categories that come to us because of the reign of sin and death. Jesus alone can rescue us from our self-made condemnation. Jesus belongs to us and welcomes us into his life by his love, now and forever. See, what we learn from Matthew in the first two chapters of his gospel is that God's way of getting kingdom work done isn't always accomplished through people we would consider admirable or worthy but instead through those we might never admire or consider worthy. Are you catching that? See, Matthew knew this better than most. He was considered by common Jewish folk as one of the most despicable people. Now, to the in-crowd of Jewish society, the in-crowd of influence and power, tax collectors had a place. But to the common folk, tax collectors were a little more than sellouts and traders working for the Roman government at the expense of everyday folk. They could enforce a tax above and beyond what Rome required and take it and pad the pockets for themselves. And Matthew wants us to make sure that we know that Jesus embraces all people and gives all people a new beginning. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. Latanya read it for us because it's our confession, but we'll read it again. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax, clock, the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When, they heard the, when he heard this, he said, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but those who are afflicted do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, churches, Matthew's genealogy, by starting with Abraham and leading us to Jesus, is Matthew's way of saying right from the start of his letter that anyone can have a new beginning with Jesus and anyone can be included in God's life and God's work. And that's the beginning of Matthew's gospel. It's Matthew's good news to all who listen. You can have a new beginning. I can have a new beginning. Now, here's what I want to do. 
Think about the person you least respect and least like. Go ahead, think about that person. God already knows who they are, so think about them. Who's the person you least respect and least like? You got it? Now here's the good news that often troubles us. They can have a, good, they can have a new beginning too. See, either the gospel is good news for everyone or it isn't good news for anyone. It speaks to every life and impacts all of life. And I know I've said this before, okay, I do. But it may be worth remembering, especially in this particular season we find ourselves. Jesus may, quote, fit inside our hearts, but he will never fit inside our preference. See, to live as God's new creation is to remember that Jesus will be our king, not our concierge. Right? Like he will be our savior, but he will not be our subordinate. He will be our redeemer, not our fellow Republican. Our day star, not our fellow Democrat. Our liberator, not our fellow Libertarian. He will be our mediator of a new covenant, not a mediator of some nationalistic commitment. He will be our advocate and victor, not our advocate of violence. Our prince of peace, not our prince of war. He's the Christ child, the lover of all people, who became the Lamb of God that was slain and the firstborn from the dead. And he put his power on display with a love that was self-giving rather than self-serving. He is the head of the church. And no matter how hard you or I may try to convince Jesus, he will not share his throne. He will not settle for being our Savior so someone else can be our Lord. He will be both Savior and Lord, wanting more than weekend visits or a few minutes of prayer or devotional. He wants all of us. And even when we fail, He will freely welcome us into His life and fully share with us His love. Beloved, it's all been given because of God's grace. He's chosen to belong to us. Jesus belongs to you, and you belong to Jesus. And only He can rescue us from our own self-made descriptions that come to us through the reign of sin and death. Only He can save us from our self-made condemnation and the lies we tell ourselves. Only He can welcome us into a life of meaningful love that lasts now and for forever we are rescued into a life of new beginnings we do not need a calendar year to flip for us to know that our life can begin anew his mercies are new every morning and it is because of God's grace we begin again in grace and we must let the grace that we receive beloved make us a more gracious people a people who welcome the tomorrows a people who welcome the Abrahams. A people who welcome all people because we have been the Tamars. We have been the Abrahams and we have been welcomed. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.